This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Going to bring in Don Robertson from the Dundas Real McCoys from Com Choice Realty, as we do every Monday at this time. Don, thanks for coming in. Scott, thank you. Batman's a hero. Bat- well, yeah, <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, before we get to sports, though, I want to tell you, I want to get your thoughts on something. I often start the show by saying, you know, I hope your day was better than whatever. Well, I hope your day today was better than mine was on Friday night. Here's what happened. I'm at a dinner. I'm emceeing a dinner on Friday night, the police retirement dinner. And at one of the tables, I spot someone who I know, have known for a long time. His brother is retiring. So I go over to say hi and to chat with him and talking with him and his wife. And they introduce me to this other couple. And I get chatting and the person, the other couple says, I know you. We've talked before. And he told me where we knew each other from. And I said, oh, well, I know you're, you're related to Lisa. And I said, um, right. And he and his wife looked at each other and then he quietly said, no, um, Lisa was my ex-wife. Well, that was kind of embarrassing. I mean, it was, you know, not what you really want to bring up with his new wife sitting there. But anyway, I thought I had recovered quite nicely. And then I said, well, it's really sore. It's really sad to see what happened to Lisa. At which point he looked blank at me and said, what happened to Lisa? <laughs> I said, you don't know what happened to Lisa? And he says, no, what happened to Lisa? I said, well, she died in August. <laughs> so here I am at this lovely dinner, not only bringing up his ex-wife in front of his new wife, but breaking the news to him that his ex-wife had passed away, not to his knowledge, completely, I think, ruined his, his dinner. It happens. But I'm sure I was, it ruins your dinner, too. Oh, man. I had a, Don, I had such a cold sweat going after that. It was so awkward. It was, he was very gracious about it. No I escape say. plan. There's nowhere you can go from there. You can't hide. So it's like, so what do you think of the Jays? <laughs> you know, there are some times it's best just to never say anything. And I didn't think I was going to get myself into trouble, well, but I just, it was, I, you know, I thought I was talking to, you know, common ground here. I thought, in fact, I thought that it, that Lisa was his sister. I knew that the person that he, you know, anyway. Um, so there you go. So f- advice for down the road. Don't ever ask a woman when she's due, if you don't know. I've not done that just, for the record. Just in, I've not just done in that. case she's not pregnant exactly. for starters. That's why. That's why. And I've never done that, but I've heard of people who have. Yeah. And don't <laughs> talk about deceased people. Unless you're positive the person knows that the person is deceased. Just a word of advice. Because it's really awkward. Anyway. I, I did it a year ago. You did what? I did the same thing a year ago. Uh, an old buddy of mine I used to referee with his supervisor now with the OHA. And his wife had been ill for a number of years. Our first trip, trip to Whitby. And Rick was there. And I said, I, I gingerly asked how your wife is. And he had this blank stare on his face. And. He said the um, he said the funeral was in September, and I said, well, clearly I didn't know. He said, no, I know you didn't know, but I. <clears throat> he said, uh, thanks for asking, <laughs> and I didn't know what the hell to say to him because you're in that spot, right? You're stuck. But I did say I asked this gent- gently and gingerly because I don't know. But I don't think people get upset about that. I don't think people are upset if you ask about your, their... You went Ash White. <laughs> yeah, but if you ask about their loved one or their spouse and you don't know... I, That's right. I sincerely I think, ask because I, I ask them every time I see them. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, you weren't mocking. You weren't asking to be mean. No. You were asking very kindly. I think most people would... I think most people would be okay with that. They may still be emotional, but... Well, it was as big a screw-up as yours. No, clearly not. 
I'm just keeping my mouth shut from now on. Let's let's move to something much more exciting. We started talking about it a few minutes ago. Uh, you have been someone who's known Mackenzie Hughes for a long time. You've known the family for a long time. Yeah. Um, Why? What happened? <laughs> it's only good. It's only good. No, no. You know what happened today. You were watching today. Um, this is this is a. I think a lot of people are not quite yet. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people are not quite grasping what a big deal this is yet. Everybody is clamoring to congratulate. There you go. Uh, Somebody that knows Mackenzie Hughes. And in in a small town like Dundas, uh, which is part of a big city, and now Mac is from the greater Hamilton area, not just the valley town of Dundas. Um, Oh, no, he's actually now from a suburb of Toronto. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, he'll be always from Dundas. And it was really cool that his, uh, he had a picture on Facebook last night with him and his mom having a hamburger in the room afterwards. And I, the pit of my stomach was just awful when he missed that 10 foot putt in the dark last night. Thinking, I'm not sure you can get much closer to a two year exemption and a trip to the Masters than a 10 foot putt and led wire to wire. And it hit those putts all week. Yep. And and a couple on uh, earlier on, he had a shot on 17 because I was watching it very closely, obviously. And anyway, he, you know, we're not going to go through every shot in the golf tournament, but he drilled that one in this morning from off the green and in probably the only guy out there that had played golf at 42 degrees Fahrenheit on a regular basis. And when you see he won with a par... Um, but I'll tell you who I don't want to be is the, there was five of them in the playoffs and the one guy on the first overtime hole had a two foot putt and drilled it two feet past the hole. I just felt awful for that guy. But that putt this morning, that 18 foot putt dead center in the hole changed Mackenzie Hughes's life. Yeah. You know, I mean, the million dollars isn't a bad place to start. I'm sure Christmas is far, far more interesting this year. Um, he's got a honeymoon coming up. That'll be a little more interesting. Yeah. You stay an extra week, but just, I mean, to win. And I, I was trying to think back and I, I go by memory. I don't research a lot for this show. You can tell by the way I talk, but I think the last Canadian to win on tour was, uh, Mike Weir winning the masters, uh, which is like 20 years ago. No, I don't think that's right. I think, um, I think, uh, oh, now, what's his name from Calgary? Um, Stephen Ames. Stephen Ames. Stephen Ames must have won somewhere along the way. He's got four tournament wins in his career. One of them must have been yeah, in the no, last fair, 15 fair years. Fair point. I, 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 but I there forgot he's a new Canadian. Yeah, but there haven't been a ton. But David Hearn's been on the tour for Has a long time. Good Brantford guy. Uh, been very successful on the tour. Makes a couple million dollars a year, but has never won. Can you imagine in your fourth tournament, you know, winning against five other guys but it changed his life. It literally does. It takes all the anxiety away of having to earn enough money to play on the tour. He's got it for two years. He goes to Hawaii. Uh, it was really funny. I was having lunch with uh, John Levy on Friday, who runs the score, and who is Mackenzie Hughes's major sponsor. And uh, John kept checking the phone to see how Mac was doing, and he was two under at the time. So it's interesting who it affects and everything else. So, you know, there's a lot of people that that helped Mackenzie along the way, from Dundas Valley to his mom and dad, 
um, a bunch of local investors who got involved so Matt could play on the uh, early tours. Um, well, you talk about the people involved. I talked today asking his uh, sports psychologist who's in Winnipeg what she was doing while well, she was watching and she was cheering. I asked his swing coach who was in Hamilton what he was doing. He was watching and he says he almost, he can't hardly jump, but he says he put probably put two feet of air underneath the ground when McKenzie dropped that putt. His dad was in Burlington watching on TV. His mom was down at Greenside. I mean, it's a, there were a lot of people, but here's the amazing thing to me about it. And you touch on the fact that he tried to, or he had the shot on Sunday night in the, basically the pitch black almost to try and win. That'd be my best shot. <laughs> It was in 2012, no, 2013, he qualified for the U.S. Open. 10,000 people start the process and something like 50 make it into the U.S. Open. He was one of them. And he was going to make the cut. And he was playing a par three and darkness came, but they continued to make them play through. And because he had to play that par three almost in pitch black, he ended up double bogeying. And that cost him a spot in the last two days of the U.S. Open. So I'm thinking, oh, darkness again. Like, you, you, clearly the guy doesn't play well when it's pitch black. He's a minor hat. Um, and the next year he's at the Canadian Open and he's going to make the cut. And he's a young guy. And he gets stuck in a torrential, at Hamilton, in a torrential, torrential downpour. But they say, well, play on until we haven't decided if we're going to cancel yet. So he has to tee off and it's coming down in, by buckets. And his ball hits the ferry and goes... And then they decide, oh, well, now we're going to call it. So they bring him out two hours later. Well, now the greens are all sloppy and soggy, and you can't, you don't get to practice or anything, and it cost him a bogey, and he missed the cut. And I'm thinking, it can't be that this guy is going to have conditions wipe him out again because he's just had bad luck with that stuff. But good for him for, for fighting through. And I, but again, I, I think that this is one of those things that we don't realize yet. A lot of people don't realize you say it's changed his life. He doesn't get back here very often because he's playing every weekend. He's playing, and not just weekend. I mean, you're if you're in a tur- if you're in a tournament, you might have Monday off, maybe. Yeah. But that's your travel day, and then Tuesday of a pra- uh, pro am. Wednesday's a practice round. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're playing. Uh, when he does get back, he is going to be a big deal here. He is going to be a big deal when he gets back to town now. And you, you go to Dundas Valley or Hamilton or wherever else and you catch him playing around if he's there having a round with the guys. Tell you what, every single person is going to be trying to get into a foursome with Mackenzie Hughes now. I think that would have been anyway, but now the now the lineup will really start because he'd done very well. He played on the web.com and there's not a lot of Canadian or Hamilton golfers that have reached those heights. Uh, probably puts him in the Sports Hall of Fame now. In the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame, eventually, for sure. I think that, well, although it is not necessarily equal to winning a million bucks, getting a two-year exemption or playing on the Masters, I would say that he would probably be a shoe-in for the Golden Horseshoe Athlete of the Year, for the local Athlete of the Year. I don't know who is going to top a win on the PGA Tour and a win on the Web.com Tour and getting his PGA Tour card and having a top 13 finish and playing two rounds with Phil Mickelson. I don't know who that person is, if he or she is out there. Well, but Apparently winning his second uh, Canadian amateur wasn't enough. He did win one Golden Horseshoe Athlete of the Year already. Did he? Yeah, he did Maybe win that one. Was the year. Well, we get two. He did win one. Anyway, um, you're right. It's very special. Luke and, and a great that, family, too. Luke tells me that Nick Taylor won in 2011, 2014. Nick Taylor won. So there's your last Canadian to win one on tour, but it is, it is a, it is a big deal. And here's the thing about it. 
I tried to look it up today and couldn't find the information. It's really hard to find. But there are, what I wanted to find out was how many guys have played on the PGA Tour for their career and never won a tournament. And you want to know something? I don't know the exact number. There's a lot. There's a lot of guys who have spent years on tour and make a good living and... Well, David Hearn. David Hearn is a great example. He'll make example. a couple million dollars a year and may never win a tournament. There'll be a lot more people that don't win than win. Absolutely. Because you got guys like Rory and Phil winning multiple times a year and all the other stars winning. Well, look at the exemption he gets yep. by virtue of winning. That tells you there aren't a ton of winners. It is uh, It is a special thing. And and good for him, as you say, good fan. It is, it's one of those guys that it's easy. He's one of those guys that's easy to root for because he is... When you hear him talk, uh, he's a modest kid. He's a humble kid. Nice family has had to come through this the hard way. I mean, he's not he's not Tiger Woods. He's not. And Tiger Woods, I'm not saying Tiger Woods had it easy, but he's he has had to grind and fight and climb through the ranks and to get here. And so, I, I, as I say, my only my only thought on this today was I don't know I don't know if people get what a big deal this is. I, I don't. And maybe they do. Maybe I'm sure the golfers understand. I'm sure the people who play golf understand. I'm not sure everyone else does yet, but I think you're going to start to see a lot more of him because here's the other thing, Don. You get your exemption, you get your invitation to the Masters, you get your million bucks, but now that you have this year plus two more that you're guaranteed to be on the PGA Tour, you got to know there are sponsors who are calling his agent today saying, hey, can we get something advertising on his shirt? We're gonna be, he's going to be here now. There are people, I, I know this is a fact, that want to know, who his shoe sponsor is, and who his uh, apparel sponsor is. Uh, and that was after Thursday's round. So that was an inquiry. You're right. Absolutely right. I mean, he may have been playing tightless balls on the tour, and they were probably giving them to him if he'd play with them. I'm sure now they'll be paying him to play with them because there are very so very few winners. Yeah. It's, uh, that changed mil- his life. That million dollars that he won today... Which, I mean, it is an extraordinary amount of money. And some people are going, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. Well, of course it's ridiculous, but he doesn't set the rules. He, he won what they were paying. That million dollars he won today is probably half of what this win was actually worth, maybe less than half, which is, which is good for him, as I say. To anyone, we've got to go to break, but anyone who's ever played for 10 bucks a hole or 5 bucks a hole and had a putt for 5 bucks from 18 feet on the fringe... And can understand, can can understand what that putt must have been like for him to try and drill. And I, actually, not even this one. It was the one last night in the dark when he missed, when he had to hit a five footer to stay alive. That would have been a better story, you know that. How'd you win? I made a putt in the dark to win. But you know what? The weather the weather helped them. I'm telling you, nobody else was playing in 42 degree weather except Mackenzie Hughes, who practiced in it back here. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don, were you watching any of the Ottawa-Edmonton game yesterday, the football game? The snow game? The snow game? Yeah. What do you think about, the? I mean, the NFL tries desperately to make all their games that that matter, quote, quote, that matter. I mean, they'll tell you every game matters, but they try to find sites that will not allow weather to be impactful on playoff games or other things. I mean, if the game's in Green Bay, they can't do anything about it. Buffalo. Buffalo's another one. But they would never, I don't think, in the modern age, allow a playoff game to be played, a Super Bowl to be played in Green Bay. 
they'll put it in a dome or they'll put it in a warm weather location. Well, they pick them. That's what <laughs> I mean. It's not a fluke. No, right. and they pick them, and they don't want to have it in a situation where you could end up with a game like that. I look at it, and I go, you know what? To me, that was way more entertaining than any – I thought the first game yesterday, forget, the, forget the, the scores and the way the game was played. Just to watch that was way more entertaining than when you then go at 4 o'clock to Calgary and it's nice weather if a little cool. Who cares then? I think that that is the greatest thing. If you could make it so that every playoff year you had one giant snow game, I think that's great. What do you think? I agree. I I mean, when it's in Canada. It's November. I mean, I mean Friday it was 19 degrees out. It would have been nice if they'd have played it Friday in Hamilton, right? It would have been like July or June. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Remember the last Grey Cup in Hamilton where they had to basically plow the Right, the 1996, lines. and Edmonton was in that one too. Edmonton so, and Toronto. Yeah, you don't see you don't see players complaining. It's not like uh, Edmonton's used to playing in the snow in Ottawa is. I mean, when you get Miami coming up to Buffalo for a playoff game, and the only time they see ice is in the fridge. But I think it's part of the Canadian Football League, and I think it's something we should cherish. But you know what? Even Nothing in, wrong with it. Even in the NFL, though, you know, we talk about how well Miami has this huge disadvantage to come up to Buffalo and play in the cold. Keep in mind, Buffalo spends their whole week playing indoors, practicing indoors in their facility. No, they're not members of the Polar, Polar, Polar Bear Club. They're, they're not spending the whole week out in the freezing cold either. Their hands are frozen just like everybody else. It's, it's, it's fair for both of them. I'm sure it is. Sure it is. And, and I looked at that yesterday and I thought this is, I hear a lot of people say, we don't want to have Grey Cups in weather. We don't want to have Super Bowls in weather. And I'm saying, no, no. Wrong. You are wrong. Those are the memorable games. I guarantee you that when you look back on the 2016 CFL season and you ask people who are CFL watchers six months from now, what game do you remember about the 2016 season? I can't tell you if they're going to remember the Grey Cup or not. We don't know how that game is played out. But of every game played in the league this year, I bet that's the most memorable game. Well, it'll be memorable for a bunch of reasons. And I said it's... it's, uh it, it's fair for both of them. It's probably the term is it's unfair for both of them, but it's equal. It's equally unfair or equally fair. And you're right. It's always the, the catch where the guy slides by or <clears throat> they still talk about the mud bowl back in the 60s in Toronto and the fog bowl where they played it over two days. Talking the, uh, the about climate bowl, yeah. weather and, and uh, staples and so on and the shoes to get a grip of the thing. Those are the ones that everybody talks about. Nobody talks about... The, the games in the dome, the Toronto Sky Dome that were played in perfect conditions or the ones in BC, they always talk about, geez, you know, remember that game in Winnipeg when it was 32 below zero? and Yeah, I can remember, I can remember, it, to, to, honestly, there are two indoor games that come to mind that are very memorable. One was the Tony Champion game where Kent Austin and the Rough Riders beat the Ticats in the Grey Cup. That great, maybe the greatest... Catch in Grey Cup history in the end zone. Tony Champion, yep. And when he had broken ribs already and landed yeah. on his ribs. And the other game, the other indoor game that I recall is the McMaster-Vanier Cup against Laval at BC Place. But to your point, the reason I mentioned those two, other than those two indoor games, nothing else stands out tremendously to me. I mean, there's really, there are not a lot of other ones that really, I mean, yeah, if you mention them, then you go, oh, I remember that. But I mean, as far as just games that, front of mind, but you talk about the ice bowl, the fog bowl, the, you know, the game in Hamilton in 96, you talk about this one, the game in Calgary 
the uh, Rocket Ishmael game where they were throwing snowballs and beer yeah. cans at the, at the rocket as he was running the thing back, but it was freezing cold. That's that's the stuff that we remember. And to me, it's like a lot of other things. It may not just be the game you want to see. I had heard from Twitter and from other places that it was going to be a massive snowstorm game in Ottawa. So even though you know I had other things to do, I made a point of turning on the TV to see what it was looking like. Just to see what it looked like. And you want to know something? As soon as I saw it, I started out by just turning it on, standing there just to take a look. And within a couple of minutes, I was sitting on the couch. And five minutes later, I was fully reclined on the couch. And I never left for the whole game because it was just a great visual. It was fun to watch. What were you on your way to get when you turned the TV I on? I can't even remember. Hope it wasn't to turn the beans on. Yeah, no, no. I, I can't even But But again, the idea is... I. There are people who would say we want to have, we want to eliminate the weather as much as possible from the games because we want the players to be able to play at their absolute peak athleticism, and that's fine. You know, but this 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 is another way. You talk about the NFL wanting it in premium sites where the tailgating and all the festivities and so on can carry on, but in almost every NFL film, when you look at the legendary NFL. They always make reference to the frozen tundra. Sure. Right? Uh, in Green Bay, and they always have a snow game in Green Bay that incorporates the toughness. Because, right, that makes those guys tough. When you're playing and it's 22 below zero Fahrenheit. It hurts. It hurts. you got to be tough to play in those games. Just catching a ball would hurt. And you saw yesterday balls that would have been caught easily in July. Just flying through guys' hands yeah. because they're and, well, because and they're numb. They're numb. You can't even hard. I mean, you can't even squeeze. You don't. You have no feeling in your hands. You're hoping that it hits your hand and maybe that it hopefully the stickum works. Well, yeah, or that your hand is so frozen that it sort of cracks and <laughs> fits around the ball and holds its shape so that it'll stop the ball. But no, I they mean, should have let some air out of the balls. <laughs> yeah, ask Tom Brady if that would work. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just thought it was the Canadian way to do it. And not just Canadian. It would be the NFL way. I would love to see a Super Bowl played in Green Bay. And then you know what? If it turned into an absolute blizzard, great. And you want to know something? The NFL says, well, we wouldn't want that because we want our players to not, you know, we want to make it even and we want them to it just... It would be even. Yeah, but we want, maybe there's a team that gets in that is used to playing outdoors and a team that's used to better weather. It would be an unfair advantage. I'm telling you what. You have a Super Bowl that is played in an absolute blizzard. It would be the most memorable Super Bowl, save for the Janet Jackson halftime show, ever. Ever. I, you know what's really unfortunate? I will assure you that one of the greatest franchises in NFL history, the Green Bay Packers, will never host. And how do you explain that to your fans? And how, do you, how does the NFL explain their way out of that? Because virtually they will never host, nor will the Buffalo Bills. Ever host? Well, the Buffalo Bills may never host another playoff game, for all we know. Well, it <laughs> doesn't mean they're going to be in it, but they could host it. I mean, they're basically off the list. I don't know if Green is New England hosted recently or any of the New York uh, cities because they're in the same same glue as. Uh, so here's here's not what, quite as bad, but you know the weather can be inclement. I mean, I'll, I will it read might you, be a beauty in Toronto this year's uh, Grey Cup. I'll read you the last twenty Super Bowl hosts, and this is not just the last twenty. We're actually they've already handed out Super Bowls through twenty twenty one, so they can prepare. Ingle, from twenty twenty one back, Inglewood, California, 
Miami Gardens, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Houston, Texas, Santa Clara, California, Glendale, Arizona, East Rutherford, New Jersey. So Giant Stadium was in yep. 2014. That's the closest you're going to get to an outdoor game. And it wasn't that the weather wasn't that rough. New Orleans, Indianapolis, Arlington, Miami, Tampa, Arizona, Miami, Detroit, but that's an indoor game. Jacksonville, Houston, San Diego, New Orleans. You would have to go back to other than the Giants, you would have to go back. Let's see, where is the Anyone here that looks Chicago? like... Chicago? Uh, there's no fun outside in the winter. No, there's never... There's never. As you're right, there's never been one in Chicago. There's never been one in Green Bay. There's yeah, never so, been yeah. one in Buffalo. Uh, they had the one in New York. You know? That's just, as close as they're getting. That's tough when you're in a partnership. It... it Again, I think they're just missing the boat. I, I honestly, I do. I think they're missing the boat. I think that you lose something by taking that potential element out of the game. If you were to have a Super Bowl in Green Bay, it would be the most memorable Super Bowl ever if the weather cooperated. And by cooperated, I mean was horrible. They've had one in California, in L.A., have they not? And they don't have a team there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there have been playoff games in Green Bay. There have been... Games well, right you can't up to take the, the green, you can't take the playoff games. No, but away from right them. up to the Super Bowl, the game before the Super Bowl has been played in Green Bay. Yeah, just not the Super Bowl. I I think they're missing something. I thought Saturday, uh, sorry Sunday. I thought Sunday's game in Ottawa was outstanding, and I'm not even talking about the level of play, although it was altogether not bad considering everything. I thought it was just a fun, fun thing to watch. I think it's great for the Canadian Football League. I just wish it was really, really, really much colder. <laughs> like, let's have a game one time where it's so cold that they, well, they did a few years ago, where they're worried about the safety of the players because their lungs are going to crystallize. Like, let's make a game. You want to be tough? Let's make a game so cold. Well, you know what I'm getting at. I love the outdoor stuff. As long as I don't have to actually go and play. I love watching the guys play in the outdoor would stuff. Would you be okay to sit in the stands to recover it? No, I have no to interest. It? I, I would sit in the press box. I'm a, I'm a wuss. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy a ticket. I'd love to watch it on TV. I don't want to buy a ticket and sit in the stands to freeze my butt with, off. You want to sit with the fireplace on and popcorn? Exactly right. Exactly right. And I would. I would sit in the stands to cover it if I had to for work. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, would I buy a ticket? No, I meant, would you? Would you do that? To I guess if you had to work, you had to work. But I would not be one of those guys who gets down to minus forty and then takes his shirt off for two quarters. At, like you see in Green Bay, that 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 to me, those guys are either. But they have an advantage over you. They don't know they have their shirt off at that point. That's, that is that is true, too. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. The NHL today put a new rule in place, which they're not calling it this, but it's essentially the John Scott rule. You remember last year in the NHL All-Star game, John Scott was in the minors but was voted in and ended up being the star of the All-Star game. Now, <coughs> excuse me. He was certainly helped by the other players, but the fans loved it. He loved it. It was a great moment. It was a it was kind of I think a lot of people thought, you know, the All-Star game is for for giggles and we turned it into something that was fun. But the NHL doesn't see that as fun and they want to make sure that a John Scott never gets in again. Who's missing the point here? Is it me and the people who say the NHL All-Star Game or any All-Star Game is supposed to be a thing for the fans, and if the fans want to have a laugh about it, then let them have a laugh about it? Or is it the NHL for just taking this way too seriously? Who's wrong? The NHL should get their head out of their butt. I mean, come on. 
John Scott playing in the game last year was a lot of fun. And if there's another John Scott that comes along, I mean, what all-star game in almost any sport is taken as a legitimate game? Well, baseball would argue that it is because... I said the, almost any sport because it determines who has home field. But even then, I don't think they play it as legitimately a real game like you would play a normal real game. No, but baseball's the one that's hard. It's not a team sport, and you go up, you're pitching, you're trying to straight the guy out, and you're hitting, you, you know, you don't haphazardly go up and try and hit the ball or, you know, throw one down the middle because he's your buddy now because there's something at stake. But, you know, NHL All-Star games that were 13-11. Right, and traditionally you just don't want to be a goalie because you're probably going to get embarrassed out there. That's why they only let them play one period. Well, and now, and so now they're, they're three on three. They're not even pretending that they're a real game. That's right. So why can't John Scott play? If it's going to be three on three and you're trying to sell real hockey, let John Scott play. It's happened once. And it was, it was a, a lot hit. of fun. And if it happens again, let it happen again. I, I, I don't understand... <clears throat> The NHL to me, and maybe it's all pro leagues, but the NHL to me seems like a league that just, even when it succeeds despite itself, it then screws it up. I'll give you an example. You got this one. They they didn't intend for John Scott to land in the All-Star game, but it turned out to be a huge hit. And so what do they do? Well, we can't have that again. The NHL stumbled onto the outdoor games. So what do they do? Hey, it worked once. Let's have 15 of them this year so that we can absolutely strangle the idea and squeeze every drop of juice out of the thing so there's nothing left. Who cares about outdoor games anymore? The NHL has this bad habit of stumbling onto a bit of success and ruining it. And I can't understand why. Surely there's someone in that office, Don, that says, hold on, Gary or whoever. Maybe we ought to rethink our George Costanza. Remember, remember that episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza discovered that everything he did, if he did the opposite of his instinct, it was the right thing? He used to eat tuna on brown every day, so he tried salmon on white, and everything started going right for him. That's what they should do. Every NHL instinct, they should stop and go, wait a second, that's our instinct? Let's do the opposite. That'll work. Because they can't seem to get it right. Well, they've done a lot of things right. They have, but they tried they've done to ruin a lot of once things they do. right since Gary Bettman got there, uh, much to the chagrin of everybody that wants an NHL team in Hamilton. I'll tell you, it's a big business now. Sure it is. It's a $4 billion business. But sometimes I think what happens in the National Hockey League don't have the market cornered on this. They they get caught up in their own success and think that they have to overanalyze everything and every decision they make is in the best interest. And you know what? It's kind of sit back and just watch, just watch Charlie Brown or a Simpson episode and laugh and don't take yourself too seriously. And you'll still find a lot of success. You can't do everything perfectly. The NFL, the viewership is down. Um, they have tried to do that. They've tried to script their commissioner. They've tried to script their players. They've made all kinds of rules that have holes in them. And now, and now, you know what? The fans are kind of going, well, you know what? It's so perfect. I'm not sure I'm not interested anymore. So the NHL sh- should still be the league that lets things like John Scott slide. There's nothing wrong with it. And you know what? None of the <clears throat> stuff that, funny that the, with the stuff the NHL screws up, it's rarely, sometimes maybe, but it's rarely the things that really matter, right? The All-Star game doesn't really matter. 
the outdoor games don't really matter. Which is why, which is why you leave the Scott thing alone. That's why I'm saying, yeah. if this was something that was truly impactful on the game, if if we said, oh, players are in danger because you've got a guy out there who can't look after himself. He's still an NHL player. He may not be the best NHL player. He might be the literally the worst NHL player, but he's still an NHL player. It's not like taking me or you and dropping us on the ice and saying you're going to injure somebody by being out there. It you know, it's not the things that they should be worried about are not the things that are just frivolous. That's and that's where I, they spend so much of their time, it seems. Well, that's what I mean. They, they, they overanalyze everything and start saying, well, we can't let this happen again. That was embarrassing. Embarrassing for who? The players loved it. And the fans voted them in. So I don't know how... That's the, a great point, though, Don. It's you, like, who's it embarrassing for? Does, does, do you think that... Sometimes I wonder if Gary Bettman gets text messages from the other commissioners and they go, oh, Gary, you're, you know, look at your embarrassing little league. And I don't think that's the case. Back to me saying they take themselves too seriously, like the NFL did. I'm saying when you get something that's a little bit of fun, run with it. Let it happen. I mean, it's not going to, it's not impactful. The the All-Star game is all about entertainment. I'm sure John Scott is a very engaging man, and I'm sure all the sponsors, and he would sign every autograph like the rest of them would, but the players would love it. The players on every hockey team love the tough guys. You know why? Because they're going to take care of them. Tough guys are as popular in any hockey dressing room as any, as Wayne Gretzky was when he played. I'm just shocked when you consider the ways that the NHL has been there's no tough guys left. No, but not only that. When you consider the ways the NHL has been really concerned about perceptions with these, again, these more frivolous events, all-star games and outdoor games and everything, I'm shocked they still have the all-star game draft. Because after the Phil Kessel one, the first year when Phil Kessel was left till the end, you kind of thought, oh, they're going to they're gonna try and change this because somebody's going to get their feelings hurt or whatever, as opposed to saying, that was great television. I'm sorry if Phil Kessel fe- felt a little bent out of shape by that, but you know what? That would got everybody talking. Everybody loved watching that. Now, they, they did tinker with it a little bit, but it's still pretty close to the same. But you wait. You wait till the first time someone gets left last who, you know, they're a little sensitive about. Wait till Sidney Crosby gets left last sometime as a joke, that the two teams agree to let Sidney Crosby sit there for a while, and that'll be the last draft they ever have. It will, because now they're not taking it seriously. And it's just ridiculous. If you want to do that, you do it. You do it. Who cares? It's the player's game. It's the player's and the fan's game. And I know what the NHL will say. It's the corporate sponsor's game. Then why do they let the fans vote? That's all John Scott got Exactly. They made it fun. So let the corporate sponsors vote in the players then, and you can have all the guys that are the Mm. leading advertisers, and you can make your corporate sponsors happy. And you know what? You'll have no TV ratings. You'll have nobody that will care, but your corporate sponsors will be able to schmooze with the guys they like. The interesting thing is, and there's no way to judge this, how many people tuned in for the fun of it to see how John Scott did? Many. Sure Many. And how many would tune in to see a guy who was 400 players better than him in the NHL, but still middle of the pack, but one team had to have a guy? Nobody. Nobody cares. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.